Thank you for listening to the podcast of Antioch Church, a Christian community in Bend, Oregon, being formed by the story of a God who is making all things new, including us. You can learn more at AntiochChurch.org. Thanks for listening. Well, good morning, Antioch. Happy Sunday. Today is our sixth Sunday of not being able to gather for worship due to the COVID-19 pandemic, but I am glad that we're able to stay somewhat connected through technology and that you're joining us in our digital liturgy this week. So a week ago, we celebrated Easter Sunday, and I'm guessing it was one of the weirder Easter's you've ever had. Not going to church, not being able to gather with extended family, But I do hope that it was still a day where you were able to enter into the story of Jesus' resurrection and find some grounding hope in the midst of these strange days. So it's been a week since Easter Sunday, but I want to remind you that in the church calendar, uh, Easter isn't just a day, but it's actually a season. The season of Easter, or Eastertide as it's traditionally called, is the period of 50 days between Easter Sunday and Pentecost Sunday. So in the liturgical year, Easter is 50 days. And I know what you're thinking, 50 days of Easter, that's a lot of ham. But I love the idea that in the seven weeks uh, of Lent leading up to Easter Sunday, it's a season of repentance and fasting. And then the seven weeks after Easter Sunday are a season of celebration and feasting. Um, While this year our celebration, of course, is going to be impacted by the reality of this terrible disease that's now claimed over 150,000 lives, what better time is there to celebrate that Christ is risen and a new day has dawned in which death no longer has the final word? So yes, we will continue to mourn and lament the suffering and loss that's happening around the world without trying to put a positive spin on it. But as Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 4, we don't grieve as those without hope. Yes, we grieve, but we grieve with hope because as Frederick Buechner said, the worst thing isn't the last thing. So I'm excited to launch a new sermon series this morning that will invite us over the next seven weeks to enter in to the season of Eastertide as those who grieve with hope. Um, Several years ago, I got this new Bible and uh, my old one was falling apart and it's always hard to know what to do with old Bibles, right? Like you can't just throw them in the garbage. So I actually have a box full of old Bibles in my garage that I guess I'll just keep forever. But I got this new one and like many Bibles, it's what's known as a red letter version, meaning all the words of Jesus are printed in red ink. And there are lots of red letters in here. But what's interesting is if you start at the beginning in Genesis and you read all the way through the Bible, you don't get to any red letters until in my Bible, page 877 which is basically three quarters of the way through the story. So narratively, it's kind of a cool thing. You're trudging through all the black letters in the Old Testament. And then when you get to Matthew 3, for the first time, you have these red letters that pop like a flare in the darkness. Words spoken by the Messiah, the Messiah that the whole Old Testament has been promising and pointing to the red letters mark the beginning of a new era, one in which God has written himself into the story. And 
has become human and lived among us. So throughout the Gospels, you have tons of red letters, sometimes pages of them at a time, capturing the teachings of Christ. And then towards the end of each of the four Gospel accounts, there's a moment when the red letters stop. And they end with phrases like, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, or it is finished. Jesus dies and is buried, and all the letters go back to black. Now, if this was a story about anyone else, death would be the end of it. But in our story, as we know, it's actually far from over. The black letters really only last a chapter or two before Jesus speaks again, risen from the dead, appearing to his disciples, and continuing to announce the arrival of God's kingdom on earth. So in the gospel accounts, we've got red letters after the resurrection. But that's not the end of it. If you keep reading, the story continues in the book of Acts, where we read about the formation of the early church. Acts begins with the ascension of Jesus. He leaves his followers with the Holy Spirit, and he goes back to be with the Father. Now, you would think that would be the end of Red Letters, but it's not. The book of Acts contains 10 instances of Red Letters. Five of them are people quoting Jesus elsewhere, but the other five are actually Jesus speaking as a character in the story, even though he's no longer physically present. So Jesus has risen from the dead. He's ascended into heaven and he continues to be present and to speak. Jesus is risen from the dead and ascended into heaven, but we still have red letters. Jesus continues to be present and to speak to his people, and that's where we find ourselves in this story. While he's no longer physically present on earth, Jesus is still with us, and he speaks to us, and we never know when he might make his presence known or his voice heard. So, for the next seven weeks, we're going to examine the red letters after the resurrection. Specifically, we're going to be looking at two stories from the end of Luke's gospel, and then five stories from the book of Acts. If you don't know, Luke and Acts were written by the same author and were intended to be read as part one and part two, the story of Jesus' life and the story of Jesus' legacy. So, I can't wait to dive in. Our first story is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. So if you've got a Bible, get it out and turn with me there. We'll start in verse 13. As the story goes, it is late in the afternoon on the first Easter Sunday. Uh, Two people who had been disciples of Jesus are walking along from the road to Jerusalem to a town called Emmaus. It's about a seven-mile walk, about a two-hour trip. Um, I've actually been to the place where they think this happened. It was on my first trip to Israel about 10 years ago. The road from Jerusalem to Emmaus was one of my favorite places to visit. Here's uh, what it looks like today. And it was um, one of the most amazing experiences, getting to take a walk along this road that's claim to fame is that Jesus once walked there after he died and was buried. Like there just aren't that many historical sites in the world that are famous for being a place someone went for a walk after they died. Um, But this is one of them. 
And this looks like a beautiful, peaceful place to take a walk, and it was for me. But when we come across these two people in the story, that's not the kind of day they're having. Verse 17 tells us that their faces are downcast. They're heartbroken. They're depressed. They're devastated. See, all sorts of strange things had happened that weekend. They'd most likely traveled from their home in Emmaus to celebrate Passover in Jerusalem. And while they're there, Jesus, this great prophet and teacher who they had hoped would be the one who would set the Jews free from Roman oppression, is arrested, tried, and executed. And now there are reports that his body is missing from the tomb, so they have no idea what's going on. So they're disappointed. And as the day wears on, the two of them head home to Emmaus. And, out, and as they're talking with each other, out of nowhere, this mysterious stranger shows up and starts walking along with them. Which is always an awkward thing when you're walking or hiking on a trail and you come up behind somebody or somebody comes up behind you and you have to figure out how to pass each other. But in this case, the stranger just starts walking along with them and listening to their conversation. And then in verse 17, the stranger basically goes, hey, what are you guys talking about? And here we have Luke's first red letters after the resurrection. Besides back in verse seven, which is somebody quoting Jesus before he died. The first letters after the resurrection are when Jesus, the risen Messiah, asks a couple of people a question that is so stupid, it literally stops them in their tracks. Look at verse 17. They stood still, their faces downcast. And then one of them, this guy who we're told, his name is Cleopas, he's like, how do you not know what's going on? You literally have to be the only person that doesn't know what we're talking about. Like it would be for us if you uh, this week were talking to someone and said, yeah, this coronavirus is pretty crazy. And they were like, what virus? I haven't heard about a virus. You would be like, where in the world have you been hiding? Like, how do you not know what's going on? Um, that's what they asked this stranger. Are you the only one who doesn't know the things that have happened in the last few days? And then Jesus doubles down on his ignorance. And in verse 19, he goes, what things? Um, I honestly, I don't know what Jesus is doing by playing dumb here. But I do love the fact that he's kind of messing with them. They think that he's dead and that his body's been stolen. And he seems to kind of be enjoying this whole thing, at least at this point in the story. So then... Cleopas and the other disciple, lots of scholars think it might have been his wife, but we don't know for sure. They start telling this stranger all about Jesus and everything that had gone down. So the most important thing for us, if we're going to understand this section, both historically and spiritually, is that we grasp the central point stated here in verse 21. It says, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. We had hoped. Those might be the three saddest words in the Bible. We had hoped. This is why their faces are downcast. They had placed their hope in Jesus, and he had left them disappointed. 
And this is a road that many of us have traveled down to. Things haven't gone the way they were supposed to. Something or someone has been taken away from us. A hope or a dream or a plan has been put to death. And we find ourselves going, where is God? How could he allow this to happen? Why doesn't he do something? Many of us know what it is to be disappointed with God. Or to have that sense that God is distant, removed, silent. Only black letters. But of course, Luke tells this story in such a way that we as readers know something that the disciples don't. He lets us in on the secret, so to speak. These two people are heartbroken and disappointed because they think that Jesus has left them. And they're completely clueless as to how close he actually is. I love how Eugene Peterson describes this encounter. He says, The Emmaus-bound pair has no idea that the person they're talking to was also the person they were talking about. They were in the presence of resurrection, and they didn't know it. They think Jesus has left them, but he's actually right there with them. They just don't recognize him. Verse 16 says that they were kept from recognizing him. Why do you think that is? What was it that kept them from being able to recognize Christ's presence among them? Why couldn't they recognize Jesus? I wonder if one of the reasons they couldn't see him is because he looked so incredibly ordinary. I mean, if you were going to write the story about God becoming a human, dying for the sins of the world, then conquering sin and rising from the dead, what would the resurrected God-man look like? How would you write that character? Well, you'd write him as a superhero. I mean, if I were Jesus coming back from the dead, I would want to make it a pretty big deal. I would have an epic entrance planned out, thousands of screaming fans, some ACDC song blasting, a huge entourage. But that's not how Jesus shows up. He shows up as the kind of guy you could pass on the street, talk to for a few minutes, and then go on your way. Totally ordinary. I almost wonder if uh, Joan Osborne was onto something back in the 90s. Remember that song, What If God Was One of Us? Just a slob like one of us, just a stranger on the bus trying to make his way home. Maybe. Part of why they didn't recognize Jesus is because if he really had risen from the dead, they were expecting him to show up in big, undeniable, unmistakable ways. But in Je instead, Jesus shows up as a dude taking a walk. Totally ordinary. Sometimes we hear testimonies about God showing up in crazy ways in other people's lives, in other churches, in other parts of the world. And we wonder what's wrong with us. Why isn't Jesus showing up in my life like that? But when you've been walking with Jesus for a while, you start to learn that he loves showing up in really ordinary ways. Uh, last weekend 
Antioch observed Good Friday in a pretty unique way. Uh, due to the COVID stay-at-home order, we hosted a drive-through Stations of the Cross experience out in our parking lot. And it was really good seeing so many of you participate throughout the weekend. And we also saw a ton of our Bendite neighbors um, come through as well. Uh, the artist we featured is a Catholic artist from Arizona by the name of Jen Norton. And uh, one of the ways that we invited you to engage her work was by taking note of the symbolism um, of the way she uses color in her series of the Stations of the Cross. And so in this series, red uh, represents points of pain and <clears throat> black represents the weight of the cross. Uh, neutrals represent humanity um, and blue represents the presence of God. Um, this pick is, uh, was our third station in our experience. And it's the moment in the story when Jesus is struggling under the weight of the cross and the Roman soldier sees this guy named Simon of Cyrene and they force him to carry Jesus' cross. Now remember that in this series, blue represents the presence of God. So you have Jesus enduring a moment of incredible pain and suffering due to this beating he's just taken. And he's being crushed by the weight of this cross. And out of nowhere, this guy Simon comes up and picks up the cross. And in a moment when I'm sure it felt like God was nowhere to be found, God shows up in the form of an unlikely companion. See, sometimes the presence of God takes on the form of another person, some guy named Simon, someone who walks with us through our pain or loss, someone who sits with us in our grief, someone who helps us carry our cross by texting us and saying that they're praying for us or by leaving a bag of groceries on our porch or by standing by our side when the world is against us. See, when you've been walking with Jesus for a while, you start to learn that he loves showing up in really ordinary ways. And you start seeing blue in places you never imagined. So eventually these two disciples, their eyes are opened and they realize that it's Jesus who's been with them the whole time. But first, Jesus actually has some pretty harsh words for them. In verse 25, he basically says, how do you not see me? How do you still not get it? Haven't you been paying attention? And then in verse 27, we read, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So what was it that eventually opened their eyes? How were they healed of their spiritual blindness? Well, Jesus opens their eyes by opening the scriptures. See, the reason they didn't recognize Jesus in their life is because they didn't recognize Jesus in the scripture. And what does he show them in the scripture? Well, what he shows them is that it's all about him. 
the law, the prophets, the writings, all the black letters, the first three quarters of the Bible, it's all about him. Uh, personally, as a Bible lover, I can't imagine what a mind-blowing Bible study this must have been. I mean, imagine walking with Jesus as he walks through the entire Old Testament going, here's what's going on in Leviticus or in Judges or in Ezekiel. Here's how the whole Bible fits together to tell one big story about me. Man, I really would have loved it if Luke would have recorded the contents of this Bible study for us. But he doesn't, and that's okay. Because just like the two disciples in this story, we can also encounter the risen Christ through the scriptures. See, Jesus gives us the same gift that he gives them. He teaches them how to continue in their relationship with him even after he's gone. He says, basically, if you ever want to see me, just open your Bible. To which part? Any part. I am all over this thing. One of the ways that lots of Asian and African Christians describe themselves is as people of the book. I think it would be beautiful if that's a phrase that described us too, that we are people of this book. But not just for the sake of knowing the Bible. The point of reading and studying the Bible isn't that we know the Bible. The point is that we know Jesus. There's a place in John chapter 5 where Jesus confronts this group of religious leaders and he rebukes them. And he says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. So yes, we want to be people of the book, people who know and love the Bible. But that's not our end goal. The end goal is to allow the Bible to transform us into people who know and love Jesus and to be people who can sense his presence and hear his voice, even in the most ordinary parts of life. Uh, here in my office, I've got this handful of rocks that I scooped up from the road to Emmaus 10 years ago. And regularly I pick up these rocks and I hold them in my hand as a reminder of no matter what I'm going through or how hard it is or how far away God might seem, that Jesus is always closer than I think. So Antioch, may you encounter the risen Christ this week. May you see blue and hear red in the ordinary. And may the resurrection power of Jesus continue to raise the dead in you. I love you guys. Peace.